0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, the book of Hebrews, it's our second reading this morning. The book of Hebrews is a long-form sermon. And it appears that it was a sermon that was written to be read to early Christians who were tempted to return to Judaism, or who otherwise were trying to make following Jesus just a minor part of a Jewish religion. And so Hebrews makes the argument that the Old Testament and the covenants God has made with the people of Israel are actually completed in the person of Jesus. The author of Hebrews makes a clear distinction between the Old Covenant, which was the law, and the New Covenant, which is the gospel. And he says that as people of Jesus, we live in a new kind of reality in which Jesus has done for us all that we need for life and salvation. He says that the law of the old covenant was incomplete to save us. We could not once and for all receive the forgiveness of sins by making animal sacrifices. We couldn't be forgiven by obeying commandments. We couldn't earn our salvation by modifying our behavior. In fact, he says we couldn't even do those things. We couldn't really modify our behavior or obey commandments because we are sinners with sinful hearts. Instead, he argues that we receive the forgiveness of sins because of what Jesus has done for us. And the Old Testament rituals and the commandments and all that was set out in the Old Testament were pictures of what Jesus was coming to do perfectly and completely for us. And so as we get near to the end of the sermon that is the book of Hebrews, the writer begins giving practical warnings to the people. So in chapter 12, verse 15, he writes, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no bitterness springs up and causes trouble, though through it many may become defiled. It seems that what was going on was that Jewish believers and those considering Christianity were looking in from the outside and saying, that's it? this religion of Jesus actually looks really unimpressive, right? Judaism has a great temple. Judaism has priests that wear beautiful vestments. Judaism, there's constantly sacrifices going on. The Jews had all kinds of unique obligations and rituals and traditions. It seemed like the Jews had all the makings and trappings of a truly grand religion. And in comparison, Christianity seemed sparse. Where was the grandeur and the glory? Where was the ritual? Where was the sacrifice and the tradition? And this distinction, I think, was even more obvious in the early days of the church. Believers met in their houses. And most churches were just small groups, a few dozen, meeting together. They read scripture together. Someone taught from the scriptures. And then they shared bread and wine together. And it was not by any means elaborate. And so some were tempted to go back to Judaism. Because as a religion, it seemed more impressive. Right? If you were going to earn your way back to God, it seems like, gosh, you would do all of these things to get there. And so the writer of Hebrews is calling on believers not to fail to obtain the grace of God. In other words, don't think that God's grace is found and some external trapping. Don't get caught up in all that the world values because you're not going to find God's grace there. And that's where our reading this morning comes in. The author is contrasting what seems to be impressive about Judaism that some Christians are tempted by to what truly happens in the life of the Christian. He tells the Christians, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched. And he points out something about Mount Sinai from the Old Testament, from the book of Exodus. He says that in Exodus, when the Israelites received the law from God at Sinai, they were terrified. They knew that God's holiness and God's word was too much for them. And if they got too close to God, that they would die. In the externals and the trappings and the thunder and the lightning of Sinai, what the Israelites found was not comfort. They did not find God, their Father, who drew them into their presence. They only found that they were too sinful to be in his presence. In other words, it was not the external display of grandeur and power that saved them. The law that was given to them just reminded them of how sinful they were. The law reminded them of the death that they deserved as sinners. The apparent glory at Sinai only took them so far. It only took them to the awareness of their sins. In our story as Lutherans, it's a similar story to what the reformers like Martin Luther found in the Catholic Church in the 16th century. The grandeur of God was never in question. The medieval church had magnificent cathedrals. It had magnificent ritual, beautiful chanting, and God's holiness was evident anywhere you went. The individual, however, knew that they were too sinful to ever approach God, to ever enter in to the transcendent. And so men and women like Luther wondered where they could find a gracious God. Where could they find a loving God? They knew they had a holy God, but where was their loving God? And so all the systems and rules of medieval Catholicism just terrified them because they knew they could never be good enough to live up to it. It was too transcendent for them, too other for them. And so Hebrews is reminding us that all the externals don't save us. The externals don't save us, whether that's rules, whether that's elaborate liturgy, beautiful buildings, the best music, the most capable preachers, the most well-financed treasury. Those things don't save us. In fact, all of those things will simply consume us if we think they are the way to God. We will never live up to those things. We will never find the forgiveness we need in those things. So Hebrews then points us to the reality of what we do have by faith. Because what we do have by faith is better than the externals of mere religion. We're told that we are residents right now not of Sinai with its thunder and lightning, darkness and gloom, but we're residents of Zion. In the Old Testament, Zion is the place of God's peace, or God's shalom. Zion is where God meets man in friendship. It's the place where God is present in his gracious glory. It's the place where he invites humanity into his life of mercy and peace. Those early Christians may not have had majestic buildings or all the trappings of respectable religion, but they had something better. They had the God of Zion. And Hebrews gives us this beautiful picture of what Zion looks like for the believer. We're told that as residents of Zion, we are residents of the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. We're told that by faith, we join the assembly of the firstborn, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, the angels and the archangels, and we join Christ himself who brings us into the life of God. What what we have by faith is something more glorious than anything that's visible in this world. Because what we have is Jesus Christ. We have the one who has perfected our faith. The one who made the complete sacrifice for all of our sins. We have the one who is now the high priest in heaven. Who atones for all of our sins. And who invites us into the presence of God. And that's the point of Hebrews. Don't turn back from Jesus. You don't need the rituals, the external trappings. Because you'll find that they will never be enough to save your soul. What you need is Jesus. Our worship, frankly, is not always the most impressive thing in this world. Sometimes it can be simple and plain. Sometimes it can almost seem trivial. If a Martian were to visit Earth in order to study religions of the world and to write a report on them, this Martian might come to us Lutherans and say, wow, they're a little bit boring. Right? These people sit and kneel and stand They say some prayers from a book. They listen to readings from a 2,000-year-old book. They eat little pieces of bread and drink a small amount of wine. That seems really unimpressive. It seems really mundane compared to all the things that we could be doing with our time. But the key is that through what seems unimpressive, God is bringing us to Zion. In this little sanctuary, at this altar, heaven and earth Come together. And as we give thanks to God, we join angels and archangels. We join the whole heavenly host. We join with millions and millions in songs of praise to the God of all creation. And God himself in the person of Jesus Christ gives himself to us in bread and wine. He makes himself accessible to us because his son has taken on flesh for us. And all of this is greater than the grandeur of the external trappings. All of this is unshakable. Buildings will fall down, money will get spent and lost, but our faith in Christ will not pass away. And no matter where we are by faith, it's a reality for us that we meet God at Zion. One of the blessings and honors that I have in my vocation is getting to share communion with those in nursing homes and those at the hospital or those who are unable to leave their homes easily. And one of the blessings of those moments is the reality that the full presence of God is given to us no matter where we are. Whether that's at a kitchen table, whether that's at you know, a little hospital bed table, wherever it is, there God is fully because God brings Zion to us. And it may not seem impressive to the world, But we of faith ought to know otherwise because we know that we are part of a kingdom that will not be shaken. And it's not a visible kingdom. It's not the external trappings. It's not the grandeur that the world may value. It's the person of Jesus Christ. He is our unshakable kingdom. Amen.